Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. It's been been too long. It really has been too long. Um, Man, I tell you what, you know, with Rise Up Live that we did in October and then the holidays, and man, we've got so many exciting things going on. Uh, It's been a little bit difficult to get us on in sync again on the podcast would you agree uh it's one of the most fun things that we do but you're right we have so many things going on behind the scenes 2022 is we are coming out of the gates fast hot and heavy but yeah it has been tough to make time for a podcast it has but man dude i always love getting on these podcasts with you and whether it's jimmy whether it's you whether it's me i I just i love talking about it because here we get to talk about the things about money that are really more current issues oftentimes. And a lot of the conversation that we have inside of this podcast, that comes from struggles that people inside of our community and our acceleration mastermind are having with their game plans, right? Wins sometimes, but oftentimes struggles, because I really think, you know, the, the journey to achieving financial freedom, it's not easy. It never was designed to be easy. It's a simple path once you commit to it, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And Brad, you and I still to this day, you know, different levels, different devils, like we're still struggling with, you know, how do we use money strategically and effectively to get the goals and the outcomes that we want. And so today, today we're going to go, we're going to actually be talking about a question that's got a lot of attention inside of our Acceleration Mastermind. The question was originally posted by Christina and it was a long thread, but it really came down to this moral dilemma that I think a lot of us have, right? I know there's a lot in our community. I know I had it, Brad, I think to you to a certain extent as well, uh, this moral dilemma of using leverage inside of the game plan that we talk about. And so we're going to talk all about this today. What is the difference between debt and leverage? So before we dive in, Brad, what are your, what, like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it's funny. Cause you're right. You, you, at first you said we all struggled with this. And I was like, I never did. I was like, Oh no way. I totally had to understand. So I, my shift in this thinking was, so I, I grew up on a farm in the 1980s, which if you understand anything about debt and interest rates and anything that was going on in the 1980s, that was a very tough place to be. And it caused lots of strain and stress on the, the family farm operation. And so I, I, I kind of grew up with that get out of debt, deleverage, control this because it's so dangerous. Uh, but then I took an accounting class and fell in love and it was amazing. And I don't, everybody should do that, but um, the one of the very first things we learned to account for was a mortgage. I just and, I want to point this out on the podcast really quick. Brad's first love was a spreadsheet. <laughs> His it, very it, first love. People could go back is, to their puppy love days. Brad's first love, love was a language. So, but we learned to account for a mortgage, and so we we really broke apart everything that's going on from an accounting perspective inside of a mortgage. And we had to understand the interest component and the principal component and the time period and the asset that was backing it and the down payment and how all of these things work together. And it was at that same time I had picked up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so 
he was saying the things that we hear, right? But then it was like the difference between like listening to a lecture and then going to a lab, right? We can learn, we can hear somebody talk about the biology of a frog, but then going to a lab and cutting one open and seeing what was going on was very different. And that's, so that was my experience that got me to really understand under the surface, what really goes on with leverage, right? Yeah. Both on the positive and the negative. And, and, and in breaking that down, I fell in love with leverage and it became a tool that allowed me to build out of the, the rat race. And I side with the, the Kiyosaki side of use as much as you can understand, right? Leverage and taxes are the two most powerful uh, pieces of becoming financially free. But you're right. I had kind of forgotten that I had to go through an entire semester learning about leverage on the inside before I was able to get my brain around why we would do this. Yeah. So today, guys, we want to give you a framework. Okay. Now, what we're going to share with you today is is a mental way to a look at money and then b understand how to use money. And and people look at money in two different ways. And it's totally dependent on your perspective around money that's going to determine which side of this equation you're going to be on. But inside of our pathway to financial freedom, our mission, the, the, the flag that we plant at the top of the mountain in the way we measure people's success is financial freedom in 10 years or less. Okay. And we talk about this idea of using two wealth lenses, the core four and the four pillars. We're not going to go into those on this podcast. Go back and listen to some previous ones. And then we talk about this idea of velocity. Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful pillars in the four pillars, one of the most powerful ways to accelerate your results is using a concept, using a strategy of leverage. Now, Brad, as a math nerd and as the, your first love is a spreadsheet, you know, one of the very first things that we do inside of this game of money is we help people understand that they can't save their way to financial freedom in 10 years. Now, maybe if you extend it out over a long enough period of time and throw a, you know, a lot of money at it, maybe you can make it happen in 40 or 50 years. But what is the crucial component to being able to be free in 10 years versus 40? I, and <clears throat> this is hard for people that are still struggling with this to hear, but it is leverage. You cannot be financially free in 10 years or less without leverage. Now, there's a lot of people in our community that have, have like flirted with the fire movement and all of that. The only caveat to that, Ryan, is if you can save 70% of your income, you might be able to save your way to it, right? Yeah. But then spend, right, that, like live in total abject. I mean, we had one of our, Ramsey, he didn't have an air conditioner, he slept on the floor. <laughs> like you can do it that way, right? Yeah. But to have any sort of semblance of, of enjoyment of what we're doing, there is not a path to do it that does not include leverage. Okay, cool. So here's how we're going to break this down. We're going to talk about three different components to really help people understand how money works. Okay, so number one, Brad, look, we've got to understand what money is. Now, we all think money is the key to our dreams, it's our ambitions, it's the it's power, it's you know, a medium of exchange, all of these different ideas that we project on money. But at the end of the day, is money good or bad? Is money, you know, like does money have any inherent qualities and values in and of itself? No, money just is. Money, money is inert. It it doesn't have its own life. It does it does it's it's a tool that we can use. Okay, so if money just is, if money is only a tool, then we're projecting a lot of insecurities, a lot of biases, a lot of you know projections onto money. So first thing that we have to understand is let's take a step back and let's look at how we perceive money because money in and of itself is just like what Brad says, it's just what it is, okay? 
First thing that we're going to talk about inside of the game of money is debt. Okay. And I want, I want to kind of go back on this concept of debt and I want to give it just a little bit of historical context. Okay. If you went through our producer revolution training, we did an entire training on the history of money and how consumers as we understand them today came to be. But Brad, we are brought up today. If you're born right now, you are born inside of what we call the consumer condition. And Brad, you talked about growing up on a farm. You grew up in a different world than most people, right? And back in the you know early 1900s and leading into the mid-1900s, mass exodus of most people from rural, rural areas where they had little businesses and farms and things like that. They were kind of self-sustaining. They went from that type of environment to a industrial type of environment, right? And factories and assembly lines and all machines were built. And over time, what was realized is these factories and machines and assembly lines could be more productive than just filling the basic human needs, right? And there's yep. a lot of stuff that we kind of unpack yep. inside of the, the producer revolution to help people understand the historical context of this. But it was discovered from business owners and producers that they had more capacity and they thus they would then produce more goods. And this idea of standard of living came into play right around mm -hmm. the 1950s and 1960s. What is, if we, as we talk about this idea of standard of living, what is the standard of living, Brad? What does that mean? Well, it, it's, and it, I mean, the way I like to think about this too is like we declared a war on poverty, right? Mm -hmm. But then we just kept changing the definition of what poverty is. Like poverty today is not anywhere. Like poverty today is if you don't have two cell phones and four TVs in your house and a cable subscription, then whereas before, obviously it, it was something so different. So it, it, but it became this expectation of certain wants or luxuries that are then required inside of your life. And they become prioritized, right? Yeah. Ahead of the things that actually end up ultimately creating wealth. So it was this shift to lifestyle is what we have claim on as opposed to claim on opportunities, right? Uh, such a powerful thing when you understand the history behind this, because that is exactly what it is, right? If, you know, Henry Ford was one of the very first quoted businessmen of saying, you know, hey, let's not have our workers work seven days a week in order for workers to be able to consume these extra goods and services that we're producing on these assembly lines. Let's make them work for five days. Let's give them two days off so they can go out and spend their money. But right? Ryan, and no, Henry Ford was a man of the people and he had yeah. the $5 wage and 40 hours a week. He was our best friend. But Ryan, when you really study it, he knew what he was engineering. He's like, if they're working here all the time, they don't need to buy a car from me to drive it around the countryside. So let's let's stimulate consumption so we yeah. can actually sell the things that we're building. Okay, so then this idea of houses, cars, new cars, new cell phones, computers, food, going out to eat, all of these things that we now consider the American way, this is what started to elevate the standard of living, the quality of life, the American dream, all of these things. And if you could not afford it, then this idea of debt, now debt's always been around, but debt became widely available to the masses. I mean, think about it today. Uh, a naive, uneducated, you know, young kid can go onto a college campus and take out $200,000, $300,000 in debt, in student loan debt. I mean, that that's as close to captivity and bondage as, as I, I mean, I don't know if there's anything closer to that as modern day captivity, but look, you don't have to understand how it works. We're trying to give you and help you raise your financial IQ, but debt was created to say, look, you are entitled to this American dream. You have unlimited wants and needs. 
You have unlimited desires. There is no need to limit those desires. And if you can't afford it, it's okay. You've got a credit card. You've got debt. Go out and spend fruitfully. In fact, George Bush, right? This is more recent, but remember in 2008, right? When the economy crashed, George Bush, the American president came online and said, it's your patriotic duty to go out and spend money, to stimulate the economy. That is what our debt-ridden nation is built on. And look from the top down. I mean, Brad, is the government, does the, does the government use debt? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. They're the so largest debtor on the planet. What is, let's now, let's now identify what the definition so, of. It I, I want to make one more parallel okay. for people, Ryan, here that I think will be important. So debt, right? You, you talked about the awakening of debt into the consumer part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Prior to that, the only debt that really existed was within the producer side of the conversation. That was, and it was very difficult to get because you had to be a producer. You had to show the value and you had to convince somebody else who had saved, who had worked and saved and set aside money that they should give it to you and that you'll then return, you know, create a return for them. So credit was something that was, that was very, very limited and very difficult to access to. A parallel to that though, is that's the way the stock market actually started out as well. The oh. stock market was not ever intended to be something that the masses ever participated in. It was for those that were educated, those that had capital and those that were participating inside of that part of the economy. And just like they rolled out and systematized the stock market to the point where now every single person feels like they, they should be participating, they took capital and did the exact same thing, okay? So it was borrowing money in order to grow the economy was never intended for the average person on the consumer side. But again, opportunists took that to then be able to do it, right? And you come back to the Hamilton play, like, right? We saw this with my daughter a little while ago. And, you know, Jefferson accuses him, like, you know, we we produce, we we grow things, we plant in the ground. You just want to move our money around, right? That's what has now happened both on on the, the, the stock market side, the investment side, and on the credit side. Okay. So let's now kind of call out some key points within this idea of debt. Okay. So number one, um, a consumer is someone, by our definition, a consumer is someone who consumes more than they create. They consume more than they produce, right? They might have a job. They might go out and make X amount of dollars, but they then use debt to consume more than they're actually producing as an individual, okay? So, Brad, when we talk about um, debt in context of, you know, using it to buy something, what is debt? And maybe we can use a Robert Kiyosaki uh, definition of it, but what is debt? What's Kiyosaki's definition? It doesn't come to mind immediately. Did you have so, that top of, th top of your tongue? Yeah. So mm -hmm. debt is anything that takes money out of your pocket, right? Yeah. Debt is something that you go and buy. He calls them in his book, doodads, right? You're going to go buy a doodad and you put, you can fill in the blank of what a doodad is. It could be a house. It could be a car. It could be a vacation. It could be students, you know, to a certain extent, student loans, things like that. But it's a doodad and it's something that takes money out of your pocket. And I think- a liability. Yeah, it's a liability. One of the biggest traps that consumers find themselves in, and they've stopped trying to analyze things based on how much it costs, right? When someone goes out to buy a car, 
I, I don't think the majority, 97% of the people out there ask how much the car costs. It's never advertised how much the car costs. It's never told to you by the salesman how much the car costs. Everything is made. Your decision is made, not on how much it costs, but what your monthly payment is and how much you can afford to spend on a monthly that, basis. That's so funny, Ryan, because so Ford just released the Raptor version of the Bronco. Ryan, you and I were talking about this. I already put my name on one. I don't know that I, I can buy, but I mine's, mine's before Brad. I want one. <laughs> And, but it's funny when you go look at it in big letters, it's, you know, monthly payment. And then in small letters underneath it is the actual MSRP where, right. That's just the way. And you look at your shopping on things online. I mean, even like I put a new computer in my Apple cart because I was looking at a new MacBook and same thing. They showed me the monthly payments and then the price was small underneath that. Yeah. So we're taught, we're trained, taught and educated not to look at how much something costs, but what the monthly payment is. And really, if we break this down, money is something that we all have to agree on. It's something that we trade our time for, right? It's something if we want more money, we have to go trade time. Now we can talk about, you know, creating businesses and all that kind of stuff. But for most people, money is mm -hmm. something that you trade your time for. That's a universal truth. So if you're making your decisions based on how much something is going to cost you per month, like your payment, really what you're making is you're making a decision of how much time you're willing to trade to get that doodad, whatever it is, whether it's something you need or want, or whether it's, you know, something like a medical expense that you just don't have money to pay for and it's a necessity, right? But really, that's what you're doing. And I'll never forget when I learned this the first time. Um, you, Brad, you know, um, you fell in love with spreadsheets and I dropped out of high school. So our, our <laughs> paths were a little bit different, right? <laughs> Unlike your friendship. And, you know, when I first dropped out of high school, like I was this. So you talked about uh, back in the 1980s interest rates. For me, when I dropped out, guess what just came out? Fast and the Furious, right? And right. everyone was in love with Fast and the Furious. I had a Honda CRX and I was obsessed with getting four 15 inch speakers in the back of that little Honda CRX. And there was this little store by where I worked when I dropped out of high school called Ralph's Pawn Shop. And Ralph's Pawn Shop, you could buy speakers. And I went in and I was like, dude, I, I got the CRX. I've got to get those speakers. Now, Brad, I was making like seven bucks an hour when I dropped out of high school. I was making like nothing. Right? Moms, yep. And I ended up buying those speakers. And it was really interesting. Ralph installed them in my car and I bumped, you know, my car. I hardly even needed gas. It was like the first, you know, hybrid car because it would just bounce down the road instead of drive down the road. But anyway, I'll never forget this, right? I did not like my job. In fact, the boss that I had was just, I didn't like him at all. I had to work there, right? Because now I had just bought $2,000 worth of speakers on credit. When I really looked at that, I had just traded the next six months of my time. I had to go to work. I had to make $7 an hour and I had to do it into, you know, for the next six months to pay off the speakers that I already had. And the value of those speakers dramatically decreased once I understood what I had just done, the, the trap that I had put myself in. And that's really when you stack up car loans, student loans, mortgage, and all credit cards, all the debts that people have, this is why they're so suffocated. This is why they are trapped by the doodads, by the debt that they have. What are your thoughts on that? It's that it, that idea of, of selling time, right? Most, we've been trained time educated that the only currency we have is time, not value, right? And it, because that's how we get money is we exchange value. But most of people, the only thing they really have a value is how, how many of their hours are they are they willing and able to sell? And that's then translated into how they, they then buy things. Um, <clears throat> but there's a different way to look at this, right? So that's, right, everything we just spent 10 or 15 minutes talking about is all the, the, the feelings, the thoughts, the, the preconceived ideas that anytime somebody then brings up the word leverage, right? 
or debt or financing or mortgages or whatever, all of that comes with that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And then any prior experience they had with it amplifies what went on, whether they had a bad experience with not, you know, getting a first credit card and not understanding it or going through the 2008, uh, you know, shake up and, and being affected by that, whatever that is, they're going to bring that on top of it. And then we come to the table and say, hey, there's a different way to look and understand. And not only a different way, but a necessary mindset that has to be adopted in order to become financially free. And now we, we find ourselves fighting all of these demons that people bring in because of where they were conditioned. Yeah. So now, we need to now start opening up and showing great. That's one side of the equation that we need to be aware of. That's look at the other side of the equation, open up the producer side of this and understand what's going on over there. So that, so that we, like intelligence isn't knowing more stuff. Kiyosaki talked about this. I've got the cash flow tactics coin here. If you're on video on my desk, right? There's most people think there's two sides to the coin. But there's actually a third side and true intelligence is sitting on the edge of the coin and being able to see both sides. Mm -hmm. So we just looked at the consumer condition side. We need to flip the coin and understand the producer side, then learn to stand in between the two and really make wise decisions. Right. Now, before we close the door fully on on the, the mm -hmm. debt side, the consumer side, I do want to bring up a couple more points because I, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your opinion. I think I know what it is, but I'm curious to hear what it is. So. Um, there's this man named Dave Ramsey and Dave Ramsey has built a, um, cult like following, which I admire, uh, how many, like how, how much of a following and how much, uh, you know, support he has from his following. And he's created this following. And I think first and foremost, now he's added some other things on it in recent, you know, past years or so, but his original following was to help people break the cycle of being stuck in debt. He himself found himself on the wrong side of debt, almost lost everything and became religiously cult-like around mm -hmm. his hatred and just wanting to get rid of debt. And he's empowered so many people to do that. Now, I believe, I believe most people are so ingrained. You are born and trained to be a consumer from the time you were born. Your parents were likely consumers. You were likely brought up in a consumer condition and you see the world as a consumer. You see the world as needs and wants. You have no way to, you know, to, to, to ever understand what enough is. And so it's just these unlimited wants, unlimited desires and unlimited credit opportunities to fund them. And before you know it, you end, your, end up in a trap and in a hole where your payments are suffocating. And then even chapter seven bankruptcy, we've, you know, the government's allowed people to get in and out of the cycle over and over and over again. And most people can never escape it. And that's the reason why most people are dependent on the government, on social security, and they'll never be financially free is because of debt. So I love Dave Ramsey because he helps people get so righteously angry at debt that they're willing to do something about it. So I want to hear before we close the door on this, when you hear the world, you know, the name Dave Ramsey, what is the first thing that comes to your mind, Mr. Brad Gibb? I puke in the back of my mouth a little bit, right? Because I'm so programmed to see debt and leverage from the producer side of it that I can't, like, yes, I'll acknowledge that he does really, really great work on the consumer side of it. But then he'll use words like wealth and investing and financial to try to like sound smart on the side. Like if he just said, hey, I'm here to do this one job. And if you want to then make money go somewhere else, I, I think I could actually get along with him. But the fact that he blends these worlds together, I just, I, I can't even, right? And I look at it from a standpoint of, Ryan, you've done a really good job internally. You have a very good barometer of separating like scarcity and abundance. And so you'll pick all of the stuff 
and then you'll go to your own abundance world and and then put all those principles in action where i think dave's approach what he what he fuels people with is scarcity yeah. right whereas we could take the same principles and follow a lot of the same actions but fuel it with abundance instead that's that's where i would come from on it okay cool so i, I love that and, and look and it's standing on the edge of the coin right standing on the edge of the coin and looking at both sides of that equation so guys as you're listening to this if you are not able to control your spending on doodads, on things that do not put money in your pocket, you are part of the consumer condition. And my friends, if you are part of the consumer condition, here is the truth. You will never be free. Your things will own you. You will not own your time ever mm -hmm. if you make decisions based on how much something costs per month and how many more things can I have? If you don't have a barometer of understanding what enough is and not being able to buy things on debt, then my friends, you're stuck, okay? So that is where I love Dave Ramsey. You have to be able to break this down and see debt in a way that you have a righteous, I mean, you're just, it's, you're disgusted with it, right? You're disgusted with it. So now let's flip the, the, the equation and let's go over to the consumer side, okay? A consumer, by our definition, Brad, is what? A producer, somebody who produces oh, more sorry, value. Producer, yeah, producer. Yeah, somebody who produces more value than they consume. The, the mirror image of what a what a consumer would be. Okay, so if a producer produces more value than they consume, and then they go to the inanimate object of money and they see money, how do producers look at money? What is money? What does it represent? And how does this idea of debt versus leverage come in for a producer? So from my standpoint, as I look at understanding debt, right? Producers look at how they can create more value than they consume. And that's different than just not consuming, okay? Mm -hmm. There is there is a consumer version of saving, which is just, I'm not gonna consume. Producers are some of the largest consumers in the world as well. However, they're able to produce more value than, than they consume, and that gives them permission to consume. When we go to money, right? If there's money available, okay? There's a problem that a producer can solve, Ryan. If you've got $100,000 in your bank account and you're willing to, you have a problem, right? And that problem is inflation is eating it away. You want to get yield. You want to be able to start creating income that you don't have to work for. You've got all of those problems and you might be able to solve some of those, but there are lots of people that can't. So okay. me as a producer, I could come to Ryan and say, hey, look, I have the ability to create more value with your money than you can. So give it to me and we'll create and range more. I will take that, go out and create value that you can't create and then bring it back and I'll share some of that with you. That's the producer side of this is we're looking at money. This is an opportunity to serve those who cannot produce at the level that I might be able to. And then we all end up being better off. If yeah. that's the way debt works on the producer side, we should want as much of it as possible. As we should as be possible. wanting to help as many people as possible and move everyone forward. 100%, 100%. So guys, at the end of the day, that is exactly it. In fact, let, let's talk a little bit more about the application of that in someone's individualized game plan. Okay, so someone comes to the table, we're able to take this money that's sitting idle, because at the end of the day, Brad, does anyone want money? No, no, no one wants money. No one wants money. They don't, right? You want what money can then be exchanged for, whether it's more peace of mind, whether it's time freedom, whether it's quitting your job, whether it's whatever, buying the new Ford mm -hmm. Raptor. Let me, let me prove that to everybody because I've said this to people that are like, well, no, because we set targets and we have like, what do you mean? Like I told someone the other day, but money doesn't really exist. And they're like, well, I tried telling that to the grocer and they didn't let me walk out with the groceries, right? You guys think about it this way, right? A hammer, right? 
Home Depot sells millions of hammers a year, but no one has ever walked in Home Depot wanting a hammer, right? Nobody takes a hammer home and hangs it on their wall. Nobody displays that. Nobody, they have a project in mind. They have an outcome that they're looking to build. And the hammer is the tool to get it. They've never wanted a hammer, but they wanted a roof, right? On their house. They wanted whatever belt that they're going to, a picture hung in their house. They wanted the outcome. And okay. a, a hammer was a means to an end. Money's the same way. And start thinking about the outcome that you're trying to accomplish before you think about, well, I need this much money. Yeah, so powerful. So let's now talk about the difference between an asset and a liability. So, uh, you know, consumers, they're buying liabilities, things that take money out of their pocket. Producers, what are they using leverage for? When they're going out, what are they buying? Assets, things that put money into their pocket. Boom. So the, in the financial freedom formula, what we teach you to do is we teach you to use leverage to buy an asset. Now, Brad, is leverage, or l l let me take one step back. Let's let's take the, the leverage back and let's talk about an investor. Is there such thing as a risky investment? No, see, this is the thing. People yes. try to externalize risk, right? So no, there is just like money is inanimate investment opportunities are the same way. There is, you cannot look at an investment opportunity independent of the person participating and measure the amount of risk inside of it. It is impossible. It doesn't exist. So there is no such thing as an, a risky investment. What that? Where does risk come from then? It comes from your interaction with the investment. So you are either risky or not risky based on your education, your knowledge, your setup, your interaction, your habits, what you've put in place and how you're interacting with that investment. Okay, so let's apply that same logic then to to leverage, right? So if I'm going to come to the table and I haven't done my education, I haven't built up my mindsets and my skill sets, I don't know how to use leverage effectively to get an outcome that I want, is leverage risky? I missed it. Say it again. So Sorry. if I haven't built up all of the knowledge, the oh, skills, okay, yeah, that's that stuff, then yeah, that's risky. For yeah. you, that's risky. For you. Okay. So now if I have built up the mindsets, the skill sets, the knowledge, the expertise, then I use leverage as a tool. I'm now reducing the risk and leverage is the tool to get an accelerated outcome. Yes. My friends, does that make Brad, does that do we do we make that point? Does that make sense? I'm I'm hoping so, right? So the idea of should I or shouldn't I has not there is no across the board peanut butter spread. This is how leverage ought to be used. It's are you the person that's capable of managing that leverage inside of that investment or not, or how much of it or under what set of terms, right? That's the way that we answer the question is what would be required to reduce the risk sufficient enough that I can get a positive outcome inside of that transaction. That's the way we answer the leverage question. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So my friends, I hope this gave you a new perspective. Okay. The perspective is the difference between the way you look at money. Money is not good or bad. Debt is not good or bad. Leverage is not good or bad. It's you. It's you, my friend. You have to understand what, how you're going to approach money. Are you going to approach it as a consumer and consume more than you produce? Or are you going to approach money as a producer and create more than you consume? So and Brad, Oh, go ahead. And here's the deal, Ryan. So a lot of people come in, like we we build game plans. That's what we do. When somebody comes in before we'll talk about which investment or answer specific questions, if we don't have a game plan, there isn't, we can't answer any questions because the game plan allows us to say for who, right? Mm -hmm. This would work for who, or this would be objective for who. So it, it becomes personalized. What most people miss inside of that game plan, they're so excited to alleviate that pain of being stuck and being frustrated with their current plan that they miss what we're actually doing. 
Yeah. What we're actually doing is setting you up to reduce risk inside of your investments. We we built and we we did this at our live. We've done this at every single live event. We spent hours on it. The the entire first 90 days of your game plan is focused on this and all of our education starts here about building the right foundation. And there's two levels to the cash flow tactics foundation. There's a financial one where we talk about reserves and protection. And then there's a another deeper level of foundation, which is your mindset, skill set, and network. We start everyone's game plan starts there. And a lot of people miss it until they're deep into their game plan. Then they can look back and be like, oh, I see what you guys did there. That was that 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 was pretty cool what you guys did there. Yeah. But that so if, if you're asking the question of like, man, how would I ever get my mind around being able to do this? It starts there. There are there are steps and financial execution that has to happen. And then there's a mindset, skill set, and network shift on top of that that needs to be put into place. And that's inside of cash flow tactics, that's where all of that starts inside of a game plan, which is why the door to everything we do is a game plan. All right, my friends, there you have it. So Guys, today, here's the reality. Um, money is a tool, and it really comes down to one thing. How are you, the individual, how are you using that tool to build and live a life that matters to you? If you are stuck, if you are trapped, if you are not getting ahead in your life, if you don't see any possible way to retirement or financial freedom, then my friends, I have news for you. It's not going to change unless you change it. You, as just as Brad mentioned, have to change your mindsets, your skill sets, and your surrounding. And if you're ready to do that, I think the first step inside of our world is to participate in one of our upcoming workshops. You know, keep listening to the podcast, but you've got to get a game plan. You've got to get a game plan that will help you get clear on A, what you want, B, how to use money as a producer, not a consumer, and then C, a system to get you reliable, consistent outcomes using leverage as a producer. Because my friends, if you do that, you will take what might take you 30, 40, 50 years with your fingers crossed in the traditional way, and you'll do it in years. Brad has experienced that. I have experienced that. And hundreds of people inside of our community have now experienced the same result. You, my friend, have to change. You have to become a producer. You have to raise your financial IQ. You have to stand on the edge of that coin and understand that you are the driver of your game plan. So my friends, I hope you enjoyed this message. Uh, our invitation to you is always simple. Take this information because this, we just gave you some knowledge. Knowledge is worthless by itself. It's what you do with it. It's how you apply it. It's the impact that you make with that knowledge that will convert it into wisdom. Take this knowledge and do something with it and change the results inside of your life. Brad, any final words of wisdom before we sign off for the day? I love me some leverage. That's all I'll say all day all right. long. Brad loves him some leverage. So my friends, join us on the next podcast and we will continue the conversation of rising up and living free. Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working, and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free, and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now. Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. 
I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.